Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Well, Nina Marnie, welcome. Um, my name is Gloria Strzelecki and I am the Assistant Curator of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art here at the Art Gallery of South Australia. And it's my absolute pleasure to be speaking today in yet another blockbuster exhibition that I've been lucky and fortunate to work on, um, Ben Quilty's exhibition, Quilty, curated by Lisa Slade. Um, before I begin, I would like to acknowledge that the gallery stands on Ghana country and I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I also want to thank Karina Morgan who is providing the invaluable Auslan interpretation as she does every Tuesday for all us curators, so thank you Karina. Um, so I guess I'd really like to congratulate Dr Lisa Slade who is the gallery's um, artistic director and she is the curator of this exhibition and as I mentioned I was very fortunate to work on this exhibition with her and obviously I'd like to congratulate the artist Ben Quilty um, for this amazing breadth of work that we see here and for so much that he tells us through these works. Um, and I do also want to thank you actually all for being here to hear me speak about this exhibition. And don't all leave when I tell you that Ben Quilty is speaking currently at the festival. <laughs> so thank you. Um, there's quite a few of you, so I do appreciate you all taking this half an hour of your day to listen to me speak during Mad March. So, as the blurb in the lunchtime talk information sort of stipulated, I'm going to talk about a few of the themes in this exhibition. But before I do, I wanted to um, give a little bit of background into Ben and the exhibition itself and how it came about. Um, who, who's seen the exhibition? Oh, okay. Half and half. And who has heard Ben speak over the weekend or Lisa? Yep. And now who has heard Ben Quilty at any point speak about his work or seen him on TV? Okay, most of you. So he's a bit of a superstar, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he's fantastic to work with, as is Lisa Slade. And I wanted to sort of say it's pretty fair to say that he's one of Australia's leading contemporary artists and what is it that makes Ben Quilty a superstar? Um, well Richard Flanagan in his introduction to the new book if you've seen it it's quite the tome he talks about the combination of Ben's first and last names and the contradiction between the two of those names and when we think about people like Picasso or even Madonna we use a first or a last name to refer to these stars. And I think when you say Quilty, everyone knows we're talking about Ben Quilty. So what is it about Ben beyond the name Quilty or Ben Quilty? He was born in 1973 in um, suburban Sydney. And he studied painting um, and visual communication. He also studied um, Aboriginal culture and history and was thrust into the limelight after winning the Brett Whiteley Travelling Scholarship 
but maybe even more so when he won the um, uh, Archibald for his portrait of Margaret Ollie. And that portrait is actually here in this exhibition, so um, do have a look at it later. And after this, it was like Ben Quilty was everywhere and for very good reason. And there's this lovely quote, I think, which will maybe explain the popularity of Ben, and I'll read it to you. In his own words, he has said, I don't feel I can make sweeping statements about society without including myself. And I think why Ben Quilty is so popular is because the personal is political to him. He is a critical citizen who often is, um, provides commentary on society and we often hear him speak about many issues and we forget that he's a painter and an artist. And obviously there's another talk in that in itself of the role of the artist in contemporary society. But with this exhibition, apart from showing what an activist Ben Quilty actually is, I think Lisa Slade wants to remind us that Ben Quilty is an artist. And so you'll see in the selection of works here, there are 70 works and they were all chosen in close consultation with Lisa. And the two of them have worked together very closely since um, teaching together at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. And this is the third exhibition that Lisa has curated. The last one was 10 years ago at the University of Queensland. So this exhibition in Lisa's mind and in Ben Quilty's was to sort of showcase the last 10 years of practice. So while you will see some of the earlier works, you will also see um, a majority of the later works. The exhibition is mainly painting. He is obviously a sculptor as well, because we have a sculpture here. And there are a few examples. But when looking at the works, you'll see that he has a sculptural approach to his painting as well. And I think this exhibition is a visceral experience. And I'll go into this a bit before we look at the themes, because we, we feel, we see, we hear, we can taste, although I don't want you to, and you can touch and definitely don't touch. And I'll explain why. So when you come down the stairs, you see these monumental works. And I talk monumental in terms of size. And it's wonderful that we get to see some of these raw sharks on display because they're so big that we very rarely have the space to put them on display. In fact, the island, which is a work at the very end, the lender doesn't get to even have that work on display at home. He'll choose a panel every now and then, is what I heard. And if you see the panels, that's a bit unusual at times. <laughs> Anyways, they're monumental in scale, but they're monumental in subject matter as well. So we see this. There is something really delectable about the way Ben paints. It's sumptuous, it's almost edible. And for when I first saw Inhabit, which is the sequence of these 16 paintings, which about nine years ago were on display here at the Art Gallery of South Australia, I was amazed at the way Ben yields paint to make it look like caramel. I wanted to eat it. And 
I'm not suggesting, like I said before, that we do go lick the canvases um, because it is oil paint as well. They have a very sumptuous quality to them. And I learnt later that Ben actually had a, a studio which was near a uh, cake-making store and he bought cake-decorating knives to actually use to smear that paint on his canvases like you would cream on a cake, perhaps. So you get my drift. In that sumptuousness, there is that um, tactile quality to the paint. There are so many layers upon layers of paint. Things jut out. And while you might want to touch, like I said, please don't, this paint is incredibly fragile for that reason. So what have we got left? I talked about sight, uh, taste, touching. What else is there? What other sense have we got? Smell. When we were unpacking these works, there was an intense smell of paint. There are, as I said, layers upon layers of paint in this in one canvas. So you can imagine you can still smell the scent of oil paint drying. Now, I'm probably immune to it, but you may still have that experience when you walk down the stairs at first. And then there's sound. There is a sound component to these works, I think. You don't hear anything as to hearing something, but what Ben does is gives voice to those that we do not hear. So, the silent ones. So, where we have the silencing of refugees, he gives voice to refugees. Where we have silenced our First Nations people, he gives voice. So, or it's a visceral experience. The other thing is, when you walk into the space, and this is a conscious decision by Dr Lisa Slade, to paint the walls purple. And she writes a beautiful essay in the publication talking about the colour purple itself. And this bruise-like that colour that appears in all of Ben's paintings, if you look at Erin Erinji over there, there's almost a perfect match between the purple. And the purple is everywhere in Australian landscape, whether you see it in Albert Namajira's paintings of country or you see it in Hans Heysen's paintings. Lisa uses the colour to provide not only an emotional experience, but that full visceral experience. It's gut-wrenching when you walk into the middle room and you have the dark purple. And then as you surface into the last space, you have this flood of orange from all the works in that space. You can't help but be illuminated by colour. So, what we see at first are perhaps landscapes, portraits, still lives. But what are we really looking at here? Well, for me, while Lisa didn't curate this exhibition around specific themes, there are specific themes that pop up um, in Ben's practice or areas of inquiry that he's often interested in. And those are masculinity, national pride, and mortality, I think, for me, the three. And while I say there's three themes, the, thing, the constant thing that runs through Ben's practice is himself. 
And this is where I said the personal was political. So with those three, four themes, they all merge and cross over between each other. So when we think a painting like the Tirana in that other room may look like it talks about just masculinity, it also talks about national identity, and I'll go into that. So I'll get started by looking at the Tirana. Now, not everyone can see them because they're in the other room, but Annika's going to pass around the images of the Tirana. Yes, thank you. So, um, in an uh, interview that Ben gave um, with Geraldine uh, Doge, I think I pronounce her name, for Compass, and Doge, 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 thank you, um, which is fascinating, and I'm pretty sure most of you have seen it. He speaks about how he went off the rails as a teenager, and how he drank, was boozed up, drove around in cars and hooned, basically, and his parents didn't know about it. And in, there's an image that's passed around with the Tiranas, and next to it is a portrait of Ben that he has painted of himself during this time. Yes, thank you. This portrait is smashed-faced raw shark, and in it, Ben paints himself in an upward motion. He paints himself in a state of drunkenness. And when you think about a portrait or a photograph, you don't usually want to have your head in a very un, um, in an awkward position. Usually when you think of selfies and so forth, you want to sort of do the duck face. But he fully exposes his neck. And in this portrait, we see Ben Quilty drunk. And he talks about the male initiation rites and how alcohol is such a huge part of this. He uses the raw shark or the ink blot or butterfly print technique to paint this canvas. And for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, the raw shark technique um, actually stems from Herman Rorschach, who was a psychoanalyst, a Swiss psychoanalyst, that in the 1920s came up with a sequence of images to which he um, would show a patient those images and ask the patient to interpret those images. And from that, he would um, give his, um, I guess, uh, diagnosis on their psychological well-being. So I think if you saw nothing, you were okay, but if you saw something, you might be paranoid or delusional and all the above, maybe. Um, but when I did the test myself just online, I saw things that weren't listed, so I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we think about the Rorschach very uh, much as in popular culture and how we see it in films, um, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or even the Royal Tenenbaums. But um, you'd be forgiven if you don't see much in these paintings and only when you step away from them, it's sort of like a Monet, you need the space to be able to really see what's happening in these paintings. But what Ben does in this self-portrait Rorschach is we see the two sides. He paints what looks like to be two Ben Quilties. They look almost perfect, identical, but they're not. 
we see cracks, we see fissures in the paint, and we know that Ben has used this technique to show us a mirror, to show us the different other side to him. And I'll go back to that mirroring a bit later when we look at a work in here. Um, but when I said the personal was political to Ben, he paints himself in a very awkward position and he shows a horrible side to this masculinity, which is um, alcohol abuse. And he has spoken about losing friends to alcohol abuse. He had a friend who drowned after he fell off a um, boat with a drunken, um, through drunken behaviour. A friend he lost to pancreatic cancer as a result of alcohol abuse. So you see it's very personal to Ben. And with the Tiranas that are next to them, if you think about mateship in Australia, alcohol, beer, the same thing, dudes and a car. That's what you need. And so with the Tirana, Ben has often spoke about that his youth. He spent time hooning around drunk. And when you look at these paintings, you can get the sense of the speed. If you throw in speed, you don't know what kind of destructive behaviour may come out of it. And you see the Tiranas painted with their doors flung open. There's a real sense of urgency to these paintings, like a call for help. And... When I was actually talking to Ben about the Tirana, and I'm not, I don't know much about cars, but I'll tell you something. My partner has a ute, it's a Datsun, it's from 1980. I think it's a bit of a bomb, he calls it Franklin. And one day we were travelling in this ute to pick up something from Gumtree, and I said to my partner, all these men are checking me out. And he said, they're not checking you out, they're checking the car out. <laughs> And then they're checking me out. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, they were checking out the car because it was such a unique car. It placed my partner in a specific society or a group. And they were looking at him because it made a statement about his masculinity, what kind of person, what kind of man he was in that group. So here I thought I was just like a pretty girl in a kind of pretty car or something. I don't know. But it made me think of James Bond and the Aston Martin, made me think of tradies and their utes, Tiranas, the Ben Quilties of the world. No, I'm kidding. He still owns a, a Tirana. Um, but it made me think about how cars equal masculinity. And when we think about even um, Margaret Dodd's car upstairs in um, Gallery 6, um, there's also the sense of freedom around car. And Margaret Dodd does talk about how when she was left um, in her home in Holden Hill with just the children and her husband went off to uh, work, she felt trapped because she didn't have a car. And so progressing with this idea of freedom, and I'll go back to this in a little second, we have the Tirana being an icon for freedom for so many young males. Now, this is where themes start to cross over again, because I do want to just draw our attention to some of the works that are in the other room, which are the works from Afghanistan, or actually painted when Ben returned after being an official war artist. Unlike um, 
other war artists, i.e. Nora Heisen and so forth, Ben does something very different in those paintings. He looks at the after effect of war on our servicemen and women. And unlike many of his artistic peers, he paints his subject matter, his, these portraits of these men and women, without clothes. He exposes their vulnerability. They are without their uniforms, without their armour. And what Ben is making a comment on here is the trauma that is experienced after the war ends and how in society we think of men um, needing to be, she'll be right, stoic and never expressing their feelings. And when I was researching that body of work, I read a horrific article where 41 people were killed in action, uh, Australian soldiers. Upon returning, 373 men and women died by suicide. Now, this statistic is only up to 2016, so I imagine it's quite high. But this is Ben's commentary on the fact what happens after the war ends. So let's go back to, this is where the whole national identity thing comes back. So we looked at masculinity, masculinity, national identity, and we're back to national identity, and I want you to go back to the Tirana. In the mid-70s, the Tirana was released by Holden. The Tirana was meant to be a symbol of freedom. It was meant to be an accessible, affordable car. It was named Tirana by appropriating an Aboriginal word, meaning to fly. And so this sense of flying, i.e. hooning in the car, um, but this sense of freedom for Australians to be able to explore on the weekends and traverse Australia or even um, adventure and so forth. Hmm. It's a bit of noise, sorry everyone. Um, this sense of adventure and freedom is such a part of Australian culture. And if you look to um, where my peer Jane is standing, I want to draw your attention to this, this work called Albert. To our left, we have Albert Namajira, the famous Australian artist. And I hope you all know a bit about him. To the right, we have a budgerigar. And the budgie is a bird that is native to Australia. It was discovered by John Gould, who was a um, zoologist, um, ornithologist, and an artist who painted a number of birds. And on his um, found specimen, he wrote budgerigar, meaning feeds well in Aboriginal. And he took the bird, the budgie, back to Great Britain. And there it was successfully held in captivity. The bird was then bred to have enormous heads, where meaning they wouldn't be able to fly and have freedom. They were trapped in cages. They were bred selectively to have blues and yellows, which are quite, I understand, um, selective in the wild. And here, Ben presents the two side by side, and we see Albert Namajira as a caged artistic spirit, perhaps. And for those of you who 
do know a little bit about Albert. He's one of the few, uh, the first Aboriginal Australians to be granted citizenship. However, his life was very controlled. It wasn't citizenship as we think the word, um, what the word should actually mean. And what Ben does here is he shows how the budgie has been colonised and caged in Great Britain. We too colonised Albert Namajira and didn't let him soar. So now that we made you move to the right side of the um, gallery, I'm going to look at this painting um, just qu quickly. This painting is titled Bedford Downs, um, Mass, uh, Raw Shark, and what it depicts is um, some skulls. Can everyone see the skulls? Remember, I said it's okay if you don't see anything. <laughs> Do you want me to point them out? So, you've got the sort of cranium here, the eyes and the the kind of teeth, you know, the skull teeth. Can everyone see that? The eyes? No. And then, okay, so it's a raw shark of skulls. Bedford Downs is a place in West Kimberley, uh, Eastern Kimberley in Western Australia. And Bedford Downs Station is the site of a horrific massacre which occurred at the hands of Paddy Quilty. Now, Ben Quilty is aware that Paddy Quilty and him share a last name. And I'll go into that in a second. This massacre occurred because Paddy Quilty sought retribution for uh, the theft of a bullock. And before he poisoned the water and food sources of the Aboriginal people, he um, forced them to chop the wood down that would be used for their funeral pyre. What was horrific, further horrific about this is that um, a young man who survived, um, Paddy Bedford, is a very famous Aboriginal Australian um, artist who painted um, these massacres later in life. But Paddy Bedford was named after Paddy Quilty, who had killed um, his family and other um, Aboriginal people. Now, Paddy, Quil Paddy Quilty, Paddy Bedford and Ben Quilty. Ben Quilty realises that while he's not a direct descendant of Paddy Quilty, there is a shared responsibility in their shared names. And through this work, using this raw shark again, we see Ben showing us another side of Australian history another side to this landscape, another side to Bedford Downs. He's asking us to rewrite history, to re-look at it and see it for what it really is, a site of a massacre. So, you know, the skull is ubiquitous now in, in contemporary culture and we see it everywhere. And it is often um, it was painted as a in the 16th century as a memento mori often reminding us of the transience and fleeting nature of life and ben quilty often paints skulls 
But there's a lot more to his skulls than just what we see in contemporary culture. Uh, we have the skull on the other wall here. We have other examples, not in the exhibition, but where Ben actually uses the skull, a car turning into a skull. So here we have that crossover of mortality, masculinity again. And we see it here in Bedford Rorschach. And not only is it a symbol, I guess, of the mortality of Aboriginal people at the hands of colonial Australia, but we also see Ben questioning his own mortality as his others. And so I think when we look at the skull as a contemporary memento mori even, the hamburger in Joe Berger further in the exhibition is also a contemporary memento mori for Ben Quilty. And as to are the life jackets in the last gallery. And I think that might be the last work I talk about. I'm just conscious about time. But um, I think there is an image being passed around that shows 12 canvases that depict life jackets. And this work was created after Ben Quilty travelled to Lebanon, Syria and Greece with Richard Flanagan. Um, they were invited by World Vision and um, Ben Quilty recently um, spoke on how when they were flying in, the whole plane almost tipped over because everyone rushed to one side because there was this flood of orange and red. And everyone thought this was coral or um, an algae bloom. But really it was upon them stepping on the soil and near the ocean water's edge was a high tide mark of life jacket vests. They were, as he said, quilty deep. That's how many there were. Now, as a landlocked country, many of the refugees that are seeking asylum do not know how to swim. And these boats are packed to the rafters. Um, the life jackets are not actually life-saving, buoyant devices. They are often filled with straw. So um, you can imagine that for someone who can't swim, this is an extra weight. In the time that Ben spent in um, the Middle East and Greece, he noted that 4,000 people had lost their lives while seeking asylum. And I'm sure that figure continues to rise. Now, in these 12 um, paintings, we see the life jacket become a type of contemporary memento mori. And it's almost like a tombstone all lined up against that wall. And they are all titled after the name of an individual who took their life upon um, coming to Australia, but was awaiting to hear um, their status on their asylum. And um, we were gifted these works by Patricia Mason and Paul Walker, who, upon seeing them, said that these works cannot be sold separately. They need to be bought and given to an institution to have on display in their entirety, all together. And so this is the first time the Art Gallery of South Australia has them on display and acting further as a memorial to each individual who lost their life, the credit line does, um, is a memorial of each individual who um, passed away.
So as I said, I might leave it at that work because obviously there's a lot more um, to investigate and engage with. But going back to that um, Compass interview, there was an interesting point that Ben goes to a little cemetery to reflect and reinvigorate himself, which for many people might seem morbid, but for me it really um, stood out as a place where Ben is able to reflect on um, society and the hardships and what it's like to be in this world. He has often been labelled as someone who's um, a bleeding heart or un-Australian, so there's a lot of people out there who don't like what he's doing. And I think that's because what he does is he presents a mirror for us to see the other side of things or um, uh, even another side of us and our thoughts towards something. And that can be really confronting for us individually but also as a nation, I think. So I'll leave it there um, and maybe open up for a few questions. Hopefully I'll be able to answer them. If I don't, you've got a chance for when Lisa Slade gives her talk in the space. Um, so, yeah, does anyone want to ask any questions or have any thoughts? No, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>